Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first ever Nostalgia Wax podcast. My name is Frank. I'm joined by my friend, my co-host, Josh. Wax on, Josh. How are you feeling this evening? Why did you leave me with the wax off response to that, Frank? Well, I figure we wax off when we sign off the podcast, but when we start, we wax on. I really don't know how to respond to this at the moment, but let's uh, let's just go with it. So why are we here again? Uh, we are here because a very long time ago, you and I decided that we needed to speak our minds to the collective we, and the collective we being all the we right that's what we said wasn't it i don't ever recall ever referring to anything about anyone's we or me particularly feeling that we needed to do this but we wanted to start a podcast didn't we oh uh well i mean seeing as how i used to be in the podcast game uh yeah i i felt a slight pullback kind of like al pacino in godfather 3 when he felt that just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Very underrated film, Godfather 3, if you ask me. Never saw any of the Godfathers. Deal with it. And that'll be it for uh, our podcasting this evening. Shortest so, podcast ever. We wanted to start a podcast because we'd been talking about it for quite some time. I had expressed some extreme interest in... Extreme interest! ...getting my thoughts out there. And you, having been, if I dare say, a veteran when it comes to this, it was only a matter of time before we combined forces and went to it. Uh, when you say veteran, I almost feel as if you're trying to um, be my Max Fisher to, or, yeah, be my Max Fisher to. I believe you mean Bobby Fisher and he played chess. No, I mean Max Fisher from Rushmore to Bill Murray. No. Rook, Are you missing the reference? Rook to Knight 3. No. Uh-uh. Uh, when... When Max Fisher asks Bill Burry's character, uh, were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit. You know, I've never seen Rushmore. And Payback. we're done again. Payback. If we're going to do these witty little sound effects, I feel we need like a, a board. And then it's just kind of turns into to John Raffio from, from Parks and Rec. It's just terrible. <laughs> right. No, not John Raffio. Uh, who, what was the name of the, the show that Leslie Nope would always go on? Oh, Something uh, in the Douche? Yeah, something in the douche. Yeah. douche. Douche, 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 again! And we've dropped all of our listeners thus far, anyone who was tuning in. So what are we trying to, uh, let's bring it back, what are we trying to do here with the Nostalgia Wax podcast? 
Well, as you implied by the whole waxing on, and I had to refer to the wax off part because, well, I'm, never mind. Uh, yeah, so waxing nostalgic about things that, you know, were just a little bit more sentimental back when you and I were both growing up along different uh, timelines, different places in the great state of Michigan. And I find that's where we connected very early on in our relationship. Right when I first met you, we connected on that level. So to take that a step further, bring some more people into our collective minds, frightening, I know, but to bring some more people into that, to share some of the stuff that we had growing up that made us who we are today. I think that's, I think that's one of the reasons we're, we're here this evening. Uh, I would tend to agree. So, I mean, uh, I guess let's get like something along the lines of a mission statement out of the way. Uh, it's all you. So we, we pledge to bring to you on a somewhat weekly basis, a retrospective look at past things that may be topical for that week by no means do we try to date ourselves on this podcast by stating that today is in fact may blah 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 uh it's but, april well whatever fact of the matter is we may point to a certain point in time that is the reason for the topic of our discussion uh let me lay it out for you like this at the time we're recording this, it is April 27th, 2017. There you go. And next week, we kick off summer blockbuster season with the debut of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which got me waxing nostalgic on summer movies from our past. Yeah, so Josh brought this topic to my attention. I thought... Uh what better way to kick off the summer blockbuster season and to kick off the Nostalgia Wax podcast than having a discussion centered around summer blockbusters and what those meant to us in the past. So that's what we're going to talk about today or tonight, today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. So reach out, grab that special someone that you like to share a box of popcorn with and stop by the Mortal Kombat machine on your way to your suggested theater. No theater hopping, please. Adjust your seat belts to the upright position and snuggle in for a good half hour to 60 minutes worth of discussion on summer movie blockbusters. So let's talk about summer movie blockbusters. Now, <clears throat> before we get into actual blockbusters here actual stories actual experiences let's uh, i'm going to pose a question to us both what do you think it was about summer blockbusters that got us so excited and i'm talking from the frame of mind of a younger individual what do you think it was that got us so pumped uh probably merchandising probably the feeling that something was coming that we just had to be part of. And no matter what we did as far as buying the books for the upcoming films or chasing all the trading cards or listening to the soundtracks ad nauseum, it just was not going to be enough. There was this insatiable craving that just had to be fulfilled. 
Now, see, I'm a little bit out of the loop, but I think you're touching on one of the things that might not happen as much anymore, and that is tie-ins to movie blockbusters. Back in the day when we were younger, blockbuster movies, summer blockbuster was coming out anywhere you looked that summer blockbuster was in your face. It was on cereals. It was in toys, trading cards, video games, uh, happy books, meals. Happy meals, right? You know, they don't even make happy. They give you a bag now. They don't even make happy meals anymore. They're unhappy meals. They are unhappy Take meals. Take that, McDonald's. So many things tied into the movie. And I feel like you don't see that as much anymore. They had like TV show spinoffs before the movie was even out of theaters. You'd, you'd see like TV show spinoffs of it. Again, I am somewhat out of the loop. Does that even happen anymore? No, I mean, you definitely get the, I guess the trading card market still has some capacity. Not a ton. I think they gear more towards uh, seasonal television shows. A lot of Walking Dead trading cards, things like that out there. So right now, with the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 on the precipice of coming out, they don't have Guardians of the Galaxy trading cards, do they? Uh, To my knowledge, they do not. I could be sorely mistaken in that. I know that they probably have uh, several blind blind box items, like uh, mini Funko Pops, things of that nature. Okay. So that's kind of replaced a niche in the uh, marketplace for summer movies, I suppose, as opposed to going trading cards. Now they go these blind box little, probably $6 toys, which $6 used to get you like two Star Wars action figures back in the day, but now you get one random Guardians of the Galaxy 2 figure inside a little tiny box, inside of a little tiny bag. And if you uh, already have that one, well, guess what? You're SOL. That's all she wrote. Pretty much, yeah. So, I mean, the years where uh, I would go and try to collect all of my Ghostbusters 2 trading cards just so I knew that the Scolari brothers were the evil ghosts that popped up in the courtroom in Ghostbusters 2 and uh, that Bobby Brown was driving the cab in Ghostbusters 2, those little nuggets of inside information that I had to obtain through various means and ways, uh, yeah, no more. Now you get a blind box item from Funko. Oh, we, oh, you, you know it. Wow, we're on our own now. So tie-ins, I think, is a huge thing. The other thing I think is really big, if we think about it for a second, technology. So think about when we were kids. Think about the whole movie-going experience to go see these big blockbusters. Back then... We didn't have 72-inch HD televisions in our house. We didn't have surround sound. Maybe if we had a really cool dad, he hooked the TV up to an RCA speaker. Outside of that, the only time we could go to experiencing something that large scale was when we actually went to the movie theater. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I'm a big proponent of home stereo systems and home video entertainment. So I, I can definitely appreciate the fact, maybe maybe more so the fact that I'm a uh, firm, not big fan of, of other human beings in big groups of people where they're all trying to 
watch a movie at the same time and I inevitably hate everybody uh, i'm not trying to hate on everybody but at the same time it's just some people know how to how to deal with the rest of society and uh other people do not you're on the latter side of that huh well i mean not not so much the latter more the former i i know how to deal with society but i don't think that society knows how to play by the rules when it comes to going to view a summer movie blockbuster or any blockbuster or any movie for that matter i thought you were gonna say i don't think society knows how to deal with me no i'm not <laughs> look <laughs> i i'm rather amicable i try to, to be able to get along with just about anybody but when you show up and you're you're messing with your phone or you can't sit down or you bring your child which um uh, again i i don't like to hate children but they give me every reason to and uh, people decide that they want to bring them to places where you shouldn't talk. And I don't want to have to explain to some kid three rows ahead why that person just did what they did. Because none of us have seen this movie before, kid. So none of us know the answer. Just sit there and deal with it like the rest of us. Little things in life happen and then you see the end of the movie and you're clued in on them. So just stop. Enjoy. Speaking of children, speaking of kids, yes, brings me to my third point, why I think summer blockbusters resonated so much harder, if you will, back in the day, and that is responsibility. Let's think about it. When these summer blockbusters were coming out that inevitably I think both of us are going to talk about, they came out at a time when we were much younger. Responsibility, let's be honest, there was none. School is out at that point in time. Usually, you know, we're talking June, July, August for most of these. You had that out of school, pure bliss feeling that now as an adult, we can't capture again. We'll never have that. Well, and I mean, we'll, we'll get to some of our stories later. Uh, as my grandmother used to say, I'm going to go watch my stories. But now, hey, we audio podcast them for you. So we will get to some of those stories in a moment. But uh, do you remember like the fact that you were off school and you would go on opening day and there would be sometimes nobody else in the theater? Yes. And now as an adult, we're subjugated to going to times after work. And usually all of those tickets are pretty much sold out or there's like one seat by itself which doesn't usually lend itself to taking your significant other and or a friend to go and enjoy a movie together instead you are subjugated to one is the loneliest number type movie viewing experiences and i want to say that they didn't have as many midnight showings i mean opening day was opening day it's not like you could go see the movie Wednesday at 2 o'clock in the morning, three days before it actually properly opens. I feel like opening day was opening day. Opening day was opening day, and it wasn't like you were going to flip the script. This is what I don't understand. So opening day for Guardians of the Galaxy is May 5th, yet I believe on... Uh, April 29th. <laughs> I believe that the, I know that the Hollywood premiere has already taken place, and I'm almost certain that on Thursday is pretty much almost a full day of screening. So why isn't the release date actually May 4th? 
I've got nothing. I, I've got nothing either, but it just kind of, that's the way that it's gone. I've noticed that with the last few Avenger releases, that Thursday has become much more of the release date as opposed to the Friday. And there's a number of showings. I remember when we got special, ooh, premiere screening passes through our, our job, mm-hmm. that it was cool because, hey, we were going to be the first ones to see it. But at the same time, there was another theater that was showing it as well, and it wasn't a premiere exclusive. It was just anybody who wanted to walk up and buy tickets. Takes away a little bit of the magic, doesn't a it? A little bit of the magic. Yeah. It does. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about that magic then. Let's 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 bring ourselves back. This is the Nostalgia Wax podcast. So let's wax that nostalgia, if you will. Rub it in good and deep. Get that wax all up in your ears, up in them ear holes. Let it happen. Feel the magic. Feel the burn. If it burns, no, don't don't rub it too hard if it burns. But if it feels good, then just sit back, mix yourself a cocktail, and wax on. Speaking of which, what are you uh, what are you what are you drinking this evening? Uh, it's a delicious Red Stag in Fago Cola. Excellent, and I have a man's drink. I am drinking a uh, a bourbon here, so we've established that. Thanks, Ron. All right, Red Stack. Do you have a uh, Do you have a nostalgia wax story for us about uh, blockbuster experience? So I think that as far back as I can remember, and it's it's not all that far back, but. Um, Back probably for most of you, uh, one of my first big film-going experiences into the summer movie season uh, would probably have to be Back to the Future, well, I guess not. Back to the Future 3 came out in 90, so we'll have to go back a year to Batman 89. And I know we both got some stories around this one, so uh, I guess I'll kick it off. Uh, for me, Batman was not something that I was super into at the time. I would say that I, I think that around that time, they started going a little darker in the comics. And the fact that they brought in Tim Burton to um, helm the project was going to lend to a little bit more darker Subject matter. Famous at that point for Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice, correct? Uh, I believe Beetlejuice was out at that point, yeah. So it was uh, it was very much that dark, and you didn't know what you were getting. He was emo before emo was emo, and goth before goth was goth, and he kind of uh, brought that feeling to the mainstream, I guess you could say. Agreed. Uh, obviously there was no internet at this time, but the, the one comment that everybody makes is that had the internet existed back in 89 when they, or prior to 89, when they decided to cast Michael Keaton as Batman, the internet would have broken. Lost its... Goldie Hawn's nipples. I believe is, is what the phrase you're looking for. So, I mean, like Starlog magazine, I remember those type of publications had issues with Michael Keaton playing Batman. Uh, For me, uh, at that time, Batman was not something that was overly uh, important to me, so I wouldn't have had strong feelings one way or the other, but it was, Batman 89 was kind of the gateway for me to go into 
that sort of fandom. So once I saw Batman 89, then it was on. It was like, oh my God, I had to get everything I possibly could. I got into comic books at the time, um, started chasing action figures, all that good stuff. But it didn't come until I actually saw Batman 89, which would have come on opening day. Uh, I remember there was a big push for like Adam West to uh, the Adam West series to make a resurgence. And they started showing that a lot more in anticipation of the release of Batman 89, which kind of got my excitement up. And my cousin and I, uh, we lived probably about four miles four miles from the movie theater and back then you know four miles on your bike was not that big of a deal not at all you didn't need to ask permission to go anywhere we were uh, in the city so to speak so for me i didn't need to ask to go anywhere i went over to uh, my grandmother's where my cousin was living at the time and we went and we cut lawns that Friday morning when, when Batman was coming out, and we cut, I think, three lawns in order to get ourselves enough money, and we rode our bikes up to the movie theater, and we watched Batman 89 opening day. Now, in 1989, when you were cutting lawns, what, what, did, two, uh, what did two little youngsters charge for a lawn-cutting service? Uh, I'd like to say it was probably in the neighborhood of, like, 10 bucks. I feel like 10 was a constant. Even nowadays, like, I feel like if a kid came up to my door... And asked to cut my lawn and be like, I'll give you ten bucks for it. That's all I know. Ten bucks? Well, yeah. I mean, if he's gonna fertilize and stuff like that, I mean, then you're getting up into, I'll see you next week with your uh, grounds crew and whatnot. But yeah, and ten bucks. I if some kid shows up at ten bucks, I'll probably still complain afterwards that he didn't do a straight edge or he didn't take the weed whacker out. But quick side note: when I was coming to your house today, I saw a lawn care service. And their names were, I'm plugging them right now to our millions of fans. Sponsor opportunity. Their names were Motown Lawn Care. And it was Mo as in M-O-W-E town. So, and I, I'm, I, I would hire them on name alone. Sounds like a grandma joke. Motown. I'll allow it. All right, then. So, yeah, I mean, we, we went, we cut some lawns, we went and seen Batman 89, and I was just, like, blown away. Not only was Michael Keaton everything I didn't know that I wanted, but it made me, like, stop looking at him as Mr. Mom. He's probably the one actor that I can look at and say they were a great comic actor, but they were a better uh, serious actor? Yes. The other one that people are probably screaming at their their devices at the moment. Millions of listeners. Is uh, Tom Hanks. Yes. Which, uh, I, I gotta be honest, never did anything for me as a serious actor. Wow, now for real this podcast is over. I'm just saying, the guy is, seriously, he's, he's a very, very funny man. Um, if he's cross-dressing as a bosom buddy, I, I'm totally down. If he's uh, a 35-year-old Josh from Big, I'm totally down. When he's just like being Tom Hanks showing up on the Jimmy Kimmel show, totally down. But you make that man have AIDS or try to sit on a park bench and eat a box of chocolates and tell me his life story, I'm out. Don't care. I'm telling you right now, all three of my brothers who I will inevitably get to listen to this podcast 
are screaming right now. They are going to come to your home and probably do nothing but berate you a little bit. I've got alcohol. We can commiserate. It's all right. If you really want me to isolate them, I'll go full-on nuclear destruction podcast and uh, drop this one. You ready for it? Yes. Never saw Shawshank. All right. In a future podcast, we are going to have a scenario where both of us sit down. We have a couple of drinks. Things, shit gets weird. Don't ever say that in the privacy of my home ever again. <laughs> and we watch Shawshank together. I wa- You watch it for the first time. I watch it for the 180th time. And we discuss it. I can't ever remember what Frank was trying to do to me back then. But I do know that he crawled through a mile of shit in order to get me there. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. So I've got a summer experience to talk about. All right. Summer blockbuster experience. You're not going to share your Batman memory? No, because it's... It it, doesn't match up to you and your three lawn-cutting services. I mean, that that was pure gold. I'm going to take us back one year prior. Oh. Well, okay. Sounds great. Let's go. Back to 88, people. 1988. And seven-year-old Frank experienced one of the greatest cinematic masterpieces of all time when he tried to find out who indeed framed Roger Rabbit. Wow. Um, I, I had a big old, like, Please, Eddie. Like, but I, I don't feel like biting the inside of my mouth in order to make that happen. So I'll simply have to say, uh, not the dip. Anything but the dip. Remember when they killed that shoe, that poor freaking shoe? So you're touching, you're touching on where I'm heading with this. So 1988, Who Framed Roger Rabbit comes out. It's an amazing film. By no means is it the first film ever that blends cartoons and live action but i want to say it's the first film that did it phenomenally maybe even the only film that's ever done it phenomenally prior to that i know there were some i can't remember them offhand post roger rabbit i'm thinking brad pitt cool world and that was just terrible do you remember cool world cool world that couldn't have been before roger rabbit no no no. it was post okay yeah it was post did i say before i meant post have another bourbon. Well, you know, drinking a man's drink. Not Red Stag and Vago. <laughs> Jim Beam would differ. So, seven-year-old Frank's really excited because first and foremost, you've got Warner Brothers characters. You've got Disney characters all coming together for the first time on screen. I learned something about Who Framed Roger Rabbit just a couple of years ago. And I'm not sure if you know this or if I've talked to you about it. If so, whatever. Rehashing it with you, it's new to our audience. I was going to say, kind of the reason for said podcast is doing these sort of things. So Exactly. Wax on, Frank. Wax on. Wax I shall. So in order to get both Warner Brothers 
and Disney to agree to put their characters in the film together, which would never happen nowadays. You wouldn't see a collaboration like that. It was either Robert Zemeckis or Steven Spielberg, or maybe a combination of the two, had to get those two together talking. And the only way they would agree to this film, to putting their characters in there, is if their main staples shared the exact same amount of screen time during the film. Which is why when you go back and you watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit, they've got that scene inside the bar, the dueling pianos. You've got Donald Duck and Daffy Duck on the dueling <laughs> Yes, that's pretty good. You've got them on the dueling pianos. Go, go ahead. No, I'm good. No, I was you, did say, you get we it? Could, we, we could just totally redo this, and I could do Donald, and you could do Daffy somehow, and we've got an entirely new podcast. <laughs> that actually maybe more people would listen to that versus what we're doing right now it'll be the duck off podcast <laughs> hurry up somebody somebody snatch up that domain name duck off podcast nice so that's the reason that you have that scene and they're both on for equal amounts of time and then the other scene you have is with bugs bunny and mickey mouse and it's when eddie valiant jumps out that window or gets thrown out the window whatever it is and bugs bunny and mickey mouse are skydiving and you see them both falling at the same time, and they have equal amounts of screen time. So that is why those four characters share those scenes. That's the reason for it, was they wanted equal screen time. One couldn't overshine the other. And then the the very end, obviously, when it's like the Armageddon of cartoon characters, when everybody comes in at the at the very end. Yes. See everybody off and on their, their Merry Melodies way so to speak. Yep. So you mentioned the shoe. Yes. Right? Okay. That is is scarred in our brain. The the shoe and um, is it uh, is it Dr. what's his name? Uh, Judge Judge Dread or no, Judge Doom. Judge, Judge Doom. Doom. <laughs> Judge Dread. <laughs> Why you gotta be calling me into this picture now? I don't understand it, right? I'm just over here minding my own business. Judge Doom. Yes. Uh, so not only is she, but Judge Doom, when he turns into the cartoon, is one of the scariest fucking things the, the, that I've ever the, seen, ever. The, the shoes with the springs on them. <laughs> like that, yeah, that that's pretty much Nightmare Town. It's terrible. So the whole shoe thing, now, I went and saw it, and that scarred me as a seven-year-old. But what scarred me even more was the rumor mill that swirled after that. Now, I don't know if this was if there were different rumors on the mean streets of Warren or if you experienced these same rumors, but I was told that that scene was actually reshot because it was too frightening initially. This is what I was told as a small kid, so this is what... This is where my imagination goes, right? I was told that when Judge Doom dips that poor little shoe into the dip and pulls it out, it was like a, it was like a skeleton, like like the shoe had a skeleton. It was like a skeleton, and like blood was dripping off of it, and it freaked out too many kids, so they had to totally change the movie. Now. Obviously, as an adult, I know this isn't true, but as a child and before the Internet is a thing, 
it was rumors on the street, rots, if you will, rots that drove us. And that was something that stuck in my head for the longest time. All I could do was picture a skeleton shoe with blood dripping off of it, and then he, like, throws it on the floor or whatever, and I think the weasels go and eat it. But it it was terrifying, and that is one of the things that stands out in my brain. Uh, The thing that stands out for me in my brain and other areas more than anything, would have to be the voluptuous Miss Jessica Rabbit and how Kathleen Turner was just everything that a childhood me wanted in a woman without knowing what the hell I wanted in a woman yet. And God bless her, but that voice that has now gone by the wayside in our later years makes me wax nostalgic on, oh, what could have been. So, uh, hats sure, off. Sure, it makes you wax a lot of nostalgic. <laughs> hats off to you, Miss Turner. Hats off to you. Especially those later uh, laser disc copies where you could, uh, you know, pause the scene where she's flying out of the car. Do you know what I'm talking about? So what if I do? So that's what I'm reminded of. Another thing I'm reminded of is a buddy of mine. And I won't mention his name, although he probably wouldn't even care. And in fact, if he ever listens to this, he'll probably comment and say, that was me. One of my best friends growing up, he was so into this film that he would come to work, uh, come to work. He would go to school. So we're talking, I'm seven. So that's, we're talking first grade. He'd come to school dressed as Roger Rabbit. And when I say dressed as Roger Rabbit, he would come in red overalls. He would have a white t-shirt on, which his mom put a hair tie on the very back of the t-shirt, so balled up the very back so that there was a little tail, if you will. Put a hair tie on there. And he put on his mom's yellow dishwashing gloves. And he came to school dressed as Roger Rabbit. That's one of the other things I remember. Um, what the f- Goldie Hawn's nipples. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no point in my existence where I've ever said to myself, you know what? Oh, no, wait, I have. So, uh, yeah. All right. So cosplaying in the first grade. I mean, he was cosplaying before cosplaying was cosplaying. A thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I love the commitment that he had, like a, a bunny tail. Yeah, the hair tie bunched up the white T-shirt in the back. You you started going down the path of you know red uh, overalls, and I thought perhaps we were going to get into like a uh, my buddy comparison that maybe it was maybe he wasn't Roger Rabbit, but in fact a my buddy doll. But yeah, the the bunny tail has kind of sold it for me. Mm-hmm. So the the one thing that I can say about that movie, I, I echo your sentiments on nearly every point, but just to prove how great our movies were compared to today's movies, is we had to subject ourselves, or if you had kids, you probably had to subject yourselves to the recent Boss Baby movie. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, good, because who cares? 
could you imagine a baby Herman movie where it was just a full on baby Her- like if they brought out a baby Herman movie today and just like had him like behind the scenes baby Herman chomping cigars uh talking come smack. here toots come here toots hey how about that there uh, let me uh come over there and uh let me uh get a refill if you don't know what i'm saying was he carl from aqua teen hunger force i did not sound like carl from aqua teen hunger force <laughs> but i thought i was going baby herman i was following your lead <laughs> well I, anytime i imitate anyone it sounds like carl from aqua teen hunger force I, I think what's being missed here is the fact that they need to do instead of like real housewives of atlanta or la or beverly hills or one of the myriad different locales that they can choose is like you know real tunes from toonsville uh it's funny that you mentioned that because my brothers and i have come up with a show that is very similar to that and what it does is it puts and they did a show like this in the past, I can't remember what it was called, and they put a bunch of cartoon characters together in a house. This one had drawn together. Yeah, drawn together. Yeah. This one had actually licensed cartoon characters, but they were off the beaten path. They were like the side characters. So you had like Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. You had Ned Flanders. You had um, I can't think of his name, but Stan's dad from South Park. Like you had all these off characters. Randy Marsh. Yeah, Randy. He had Randy. So, uh, Randy, want me to come over there and give you? A... Yeah, you had all of them living in a house together, and we just thought that was just hysterical. And eventually, someday, we'll get there. Uh, And Adult Swim, trademark, that's ours. Don't take it. Don't take it. So that's that's my first story I wanted to share. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? So my next one will skip us ahead a few years, I suppose. Uh, Like I was saying, Back to the Future 3, which I remember taking the day off from school this was when the summer movies really started to creep into may and the release dates kept getting earlier and earlier for the longest times i don't think i don't think that you saw like a summer blockbuster movie that was released in may until probably the late 80s early 90s and for my birthday right around that time frame my parents let me take one of my buddies and get off school so we could see one of the greatest double features of all time. Lay it on me. Back to the Future 3. And the Mel Gibson, Goldie Hawn classic, Bird on a Wire. Wow. What an outstanding pair of films. So I got to see ZZ Top, old-timey ZZ Top. Singing. Spin the guitar or would spin the snare drum? What did he spin on him? Uh, there were, I think there was a banjo in play. Okay. There was a banjo <laughs> in play there. Uh, yes, uh, Mr. Uh, Beard spun a, a drum, if, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, yeah, they were singing Double Back again. And I got to see me some uh, Irish Michael J. Fox action. It was the greatest thing ever, and then I got to go see Goldie Hawn not wearing a bra with Mel Gibson's hair for 120 minutes, maybe. Let's be honest. What film did Goldie Hawn wear a bra in back in the day? Uh, maybe Private Benjamin. Maybe. Just because she had you know, so much vigorous training going on. But yes. Yes. And, and it's, it's scary for me to think because, you know, Obviously, again, we can kind of segue this back into 
the reason for our discussion today, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I thought you were going to say Goldie Hunt's nipples. I didn't see them, but they were present and on the red carpet for Guardians the of the Galaxy. The reason we do anything. Goldie Hawn's nipples. So, <laughs> as a sidebar, you once asked me what we would do <laughs> if we if we were swearing and what could we possibly overdub to make it not so evident that we were swearing. So we just plug in Goldie Hawn's Goldie nipples? Goldie Hawn's nipples. <laughs> so... Time track back before people even understand what we're talking about to when I said what the... Goldie Hawn's nipples. (laughs) Goldie Hawn's nipples. And people just lose their freaking minds. So, yes, uh, Goldie Hawn appeared on the red carpet with her never-husband, Kurt Kurt Russell. Russell. Uh, The person that I idolize above almost anyone else. For their magnificent hair and for their witty banter in almost all of their movies. And uh, yeah, she's still not that bad. Considering the fact that she had terrible skin back then, which was obvious from a number of tanning booth sessions or just spending way too much time in the sun, uh, she could get it for sure. Good for Goldie. Good for Kurt. What do you mean good for Goldie? Wait a second here. Something you need to tell me? <laughs> we got big trouble in Little China. It's a good one. It's a good one. All right. So that was, what year did you take us there? Uh, I'm thinking 91. 91? 90, 91. Okay. So I'm going to take us two years into the future. We need to go back. 1993. So we're talking the summer of 1993. And do you know what came out the summer of 1993? Oh, was it a dinosaur movie? Welcome to Jurassic Park. It's a dinosaur. It's a dinosaur. Full disclosure... My favorite movie of all time is 1993's Jurassic Park. I love it with all of my heart and all of my soul. It, by far, is the happiest I've ever been inside of a movie theater. To that point, I did see that film 16 times in the movie theater. Well, that's including re-releases. No, including re-releases, 17. <laughs> Come on. 16 times? 16 times. Well, In a row? To, not in a row. But you have to think about this. The movie came out in June of 1993, and this was back in the day where stuff didn't come onto video very quickly. It usually took probably about eight months to a year. It was a year and four months. So it was October. Oh my God, you've o- got the time frame it was, uh, It's my favorite movie of all time, Josh. It was October of 94 was when Jurassic Park finally came to VHS. That is video. Yes, go. Yes. This. Home this is everything for me right now, please. Video home system. Okay. <laughs> 
for to you. To the Google machines. <laughs> anyway, it continue. Came, it came to uh, came to VHS in '94, so there was a year and four months where that thing still it hung did around. not exist in your life somehow. Or <laughs> that, that thing still hung around the theater though, so it was in the main theaters for quite some time, and then. I would probably venture to say I saw it about six times when it was on its main run, and then it went to the dollar shows, and then I saw it another ten times. But again, this is in the theater, and this is all prior to it actually coming out on VHS. So what was the loneliest number that you ever experienced while going to see Jurassic Park? Was Did you ever just have like full-on theater to yourself? No, no. I, there was always at least... I want to say. Did you go by yourself? Two or, or three other. T- no, I always had someone with me. But even outside of us, there was always maybe two or three other individuals. I don't think there was ever a just two people in the theater viewing of Jurassic Park ever in the history of Jurassic Park. I'm oh, talking uh, no, there was theaters sure. across. Sure there was. Let, let's not get a hold of ourselves. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. All right. So. I, too, though, the very first time I saw this movie, and you reminded me when you talked about your amazing double feature with Goldie Hawn's nipples. The other... Which in and of itself is a tremendous double feature. <laughs> the other movie that I saw, and I actually saw this before I went and saw Jurassic Park 3, was uh, or Jurassic Park in 1993. It was a Michael J. Fox film, a film by the name of Life with Mikey. Have you seen this one? Uh, I got to admit, I, I like to think that I see a lot of stuff, but this one, it, it feels like it's escaping me somehow. Michael J. Fox plays a, he was a child actor. And then he grew up and couldn't make it in the acting business, so he then started his own talent agency. So for me, Michael J. Fox, it goes, uh, let's see, Back to the Future, uh, Bright Lights, Big City, is that is that right? I will say yes. Okay. Uh, Doc Hollywood. Awesome. And then after that, it's shaky. <laughs> And Michael J. Fox just stopped listening to the podcast. Thanks for that. Just terrible. So, so yes, life with... <laughs> Josh, drop, drop the mic, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in case... Uh... I was tempted to do victory laps around the basement, but uh, I don't run very well. So Life with Mikey, I went and saw that. And then right after Life with Mikey, I went and saw Jurassic Park. So I will always associate Jurassic Park some way, somehow, with Michael J. Fox, which I can't say is a bad thing. So on the flip side of that, uh, while you were seeing a double feature, I upped the game. And saw a triple feature of Jurassic Park opening day. And that was, um, in preparation of that, I had read the Michael Crichton novel. So I was super stoked about seeing the movie. That was one of those, like, I was at a fever pitch. I was just, like, ready to go. Got to see me some Jurassic Park. Went to the box office that day. And I said, I need three for Jurassic Park. 
and they're like, okay, three for the one o'clock show. I'm like, no, no, my good man. I need three for all day Jurassic Park. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I understand. The one o'clock, the four o'clock, and the seven o'clock make it happen. Bam. That's it. So I sat myself down for the one o'clock screening with a few of my friends. And we made it through the first screening. And it was everything I could have hoped for. Tremendous. I couldn't wait to go back in the theater. In fact, I just sat in the theater while they they scrubbed scrubbed around me all the popcorn and and bubblegum and soda that had spilled because of the uh, terror of seeing real-life dinosaurs on the screen for the first time. How do you spill bubblegum? It's like a spit-take type thing. Mm. But it's like mid-chew. So it's like, I'm just going to chew this ball. Why do you have to announce you're chewing your bubblegum? Because people are... Goldie Hunt's nipples. As we've already established when they go to movies. It started back then for the first time in Jurassic Park when they announced they were chewing bubblegum. And it's only it's progressively gone, gotten it's worse. It's downhill from there. All right, continue. So uh, sat there, watched uh, episode two of Jurassic Park for the four o'clock show. And then uh, my friends who were all in on seeing all three of the Jurassic Park movies. Well, sounds like a great idea initially. Yes. But after seeing the second one, they, they were tempted. Tempted by. The fruit of another? Ted Danson and, and Whoopi Goldberg's epic classic Made in America. Well, that's a good flick. Will Smith's in that movie. Is he? Yeah. Couldn't tell you. I sat through the third Jurassic Park by myself. Because that's how I roll. So Good I work I, out of you. I'm just saying, uh, I, I knew more about velociraptors and the fact that uh, Newman from Seinfeld was going to destroy the entire human population because of his greed. And I always the thing that bothers me most about Jurassic Park, and I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody, but Dennis Nedry was so selfish that when he was talking to who was it was it Gennaro we got Gennaro here Dotson Dots we got Dotson we got Dots uh so the jerk takes shaving cream mm-hmm. and places it on a pie for some other person some poor sap's gonna get unsuspecting that shaving cream person pie to eat a shaving cream pie no one talks about that it's terrible we don't talk about it enough it's terrible Absolutely terrible. So next story I want to share. I'm going to fast forward us three more years from 1993, which takes us to 1996. Someone knows math. Don't rain man it. I got it for you. Stay in school, kids. So 1996, we've got 15-year-old Frank. A scary thought in and of itself. 15-year-old Frank, who's just recently moved to a new town. So in, well, a couple months previous to that, my parents ripped me from my home in Warren and placed me many, many miles north to Oxford. So I'm moving from decently big city of Warren, Michigan, to Oxford, where... There is no city. It's more of a town. So was there a specific reason why there was a desire to move on your parents' part? 
yes, many, many reasons that I won't get into, but... Um, because I, I, I don't have a problem sharing when my family moved from Warren to um, the mean streets of the K-Pack. And when I say the K-Pack, it's because I have to preface it because there's a litany of other locations referred to as K-Pack, but only one is proper and therefore needs the in front of it. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, but I don't have a problem saying it was because I was a fat ass as a kid. And people picked on me to no avail. Really? Yes. But, like, I was fat for the city, but I was just country strong <laughs> out, in that, out in that beautiful farmland. So You fit in perfect. I, I, I wouldn't fit into a lot of things, but, yeah, I, <laughs> but, I, I was more. you fit into country strong. I was more at home with, with the farm country than I was the big city. So... For me, it wasn't so much a weight thing as it was a 12 and Ryan was starting to not be the nicest area in the world. Come on. So they took me north. Now, I thought it was perfectly fine. Now, see, let's, yes, this is, all right, let's just broach this subject right quick. Because this is going to be future casts of the Nostalgia Wax podcast. As far as, uh, hey, why were our parents racist? <laughs> <laughs> now, see, my parents weren't racist. However, they were both big proponents of the school districts. And at the time, Warren Consolidated Schools were a little on the downswing. And let's be honest, they had a up-and-coming protege in me. So they wanted to make sure I excelled in every possible way. So they moved me to a better school district. I feel like we should like bust out like one shining moment or something just just for you. Yeah, something that we will not be afraid to talk about in the future is going to be uh, lack of uh, real topics. So we will get to real topics. Real talk. Yes, without uh, alienating anyone because I am all inclusive of all race, creeds, colors, sexual preferences, religions, etc., etc., Etc. I was looking for something and I couldn't find it. So let's go back to the future. No, we already did that. We already did that. So back to Oxford, 15 year old Frank and summer of 1996. Weekend after July 4th. A movie opened up that movie's name. Independence Day, if you couldn't guess. So Independence Day opens up. 15-year-old Frank gets commissioned by his mother, his father, and all of his aunts and uncles to take himself and his three younger brothers and four younger cousins to go see Independence Day. Now, moving from Warren, where 
everything is readily available for you within a two block radius, basically. My parents tell me, 15-year-old Frank who can't drive a car, hey, why don't you just run the kids up to the Oxford Theater? It's right there on Main Street. Let's go ahead. You couldn't drive a car? No, no, no. I followed the rules. Hence why they moved me out of Warren. So I went... I was going up to the Oxford Theater, whatever. So I've, I've got myself, um, my three younger brothers, like four cousins, I think, in tow. So what, that's like seven young ones I'm responsible for. Catholic family. Yes, exactly. Catholics all of them. Catholics everywhere. So it's the weekend of, well, it's the weekend after July 4th that we go. And it's July in Michigan. It's hot as hell. I mean, it had to have been like 100 degrees outside. And when my parents said, you know, just take them up to the main theater in Oxford. Okay, great, grand, wonderful. We didn't live two blocks from the main strip of downtown Oxford. No. We lived 50 minutes from the main strip of downtown Oxford when it came to walking. And that's 50 minutes if I'm briskly walking as a 15-year-old. I had to cart seven younger kids spanning the ages of 11 to I believe it was five maybe and I had to escort them like little Goldie Hawn's nipples ducklings from my house all the way up to that theater and it's 101 degrees outside the sun is beating down the little kids are whining screaming they want water mind you my parents hand me a huge bag of, you know, popcorn and all that good stuff. Because heaven forbid you f- buy popcorn at the theater. That never happened. I don't know if you got to buy popcorn as a kid. I never did. Okay. So I've got like, I'm carting like eight bags of microwave popcorn. and uh, Microwave popcorn? Yeah, yeah. Microwave popcorn. And I'm bringing this in like this huge little duffel bag. And I've got all these well, drinks. Let's people into got a theater with cups. a duffel bag. It's Oxford, dude. I've got sippy cups. I've got all these things. The kids are whining because it's too hot. They don't want to walk anymore. Their little tiny five-year-old legs can't make it. So we finally get to the theater, right? And I'm just sweating my ass off. Walk inside the theater. Pay for the tickets, which was a nightmare in and of itself. Go and sit down. And it's the opening weekend of it. So there's like not like a, a clear row where all eight of us or nine or 12, whatever the I had there is not a clear row where we can all sit down. So I'm trying to parcel out, you know, the eldest ones with the smaller ones and all that good stuff, right? Air conditioning's out in the theater. So I'm still, so we're all sweating because we've walked for 50 minutes, which turned into like an hour and a half with the young ones. Sweating my ass off inside this theater, no air conditioning. Independence Day. While a great film is not meant for five-year-olds, so there's parts in there where the little kids are just crying and losing their minds, and I'm having to take them out of the theater and calm them down and then bring them back in. It was just the worst. And I know we're talking about how 
great summer blockbusters used to be, uh, but that was one that, um, while a great movie and a great summer blockbuster, it's one memory I wish that I could just eternal sunshine out of my brain. So this begs a few questions of me. But I, I feel that I would be remiss if I didn't ask the most important one. You had this terrible, traumatic experience with young children. And yet, you felt the need to go and have kids. Just like you were master of the diaper bag at that point? Like, did you have to change anyone on this trip? Had, didn't have to change anyone. They were five years old. I'll tell you that one of the sole reasons for me uh, actually having kids was just to see what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very weird cat, and so is my wife. That's why I married her. And you know what? I wanted to see what would come out. Well, uh, I, I think that our good friends... Daniel Sullivan and Eric Henson would be remiss if we made it through an entire discussion on Independence Day, if we didn't at least leave them with a welcome to Earth, mother Goldie Hunt's nipples. <laughs> nice. Dan will never listen to this. Probably. You're, you're probably right. Hi, Dan. Visit Dan in beautiful uh, downtown... Clawson, Michigan, huh? Clawson, yes. We're Flossin' and Clawson, or you can just uh, go and check out the comic shop. Free comic book days coming up. Ooh, perhaps a segue to next week. I don't know. Maybe. So, I, I think I think our initial podcast has kind of run its course, hasn't it? Uh, looking at the time on the clock, yes, I would say it pretty much has. I'm pretty sure people tapped out at about 12 minutes into it anyway, so... But if you didn't, if you didn't, let's let's recap. There was a masterful Michael J. Fox Parkinson's reference, which I'm going to hell for. <laughs> and those of you that left are all coming with me. Yep. Uh, we got to see Batman. We did. We got to go to Jurassic Park. We attended the park. We painfully took five-year-olds to see Independence Day. Worst. Saw Goldie Hawn's nipples. Oh, let's not forget those nipples. And we watched a shoe meet its demise, whether bona fide or not bona fide. Bone in, bone out. Your choice. Your total preference. But either way, Christopher Lloyd's a crazy mofo in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Agreed. So, hey, hit us up on our Twitter. Let us know what we missed. Let us know what you guys got to see. If 140 characters don't do you well, then you can check out our Facebook page as well. Uh, all those things can be found at NostalgiaWax.com. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Working out the details. We'll get there eventually. But, hey, uh, just throw Nostalgia Wax into your Google machine, and it will get the work done for you. Stuff should pop out. Hopefully our stuff. <laughs> or Goldie Hawn's nipples. <laughs> Whatever works if for you. If you're lucky. Yes. If, if you're lucky. New logo, by yes. the way. Yes. <laughs> All right, people. We will see you next week on the Nostalgia Wax podcast. Hope you had fun. Until then, wax, wax off. off.